would like for you to think for a moment, uh, what's the worst gift that you've ever received? Maybe for Christmas or maybe for your birthday. What comes to mind? I'm sure, I'm sure something comes to mind, right? I was reading a couple of articles over the internet about some of the worst gifts that people have ever received. One person said that she received a book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. How many of you know what that book? Of course, those, uh, yeah, those who are. Uh, but this girl, actually, this lady was in high school and she was not even dating. Another person said you know, she received a bracelet which was actually already hers from her sister. Apparently, her sister borrowed it and then gave it back to her. So I just wondered, does that mean she borrowed it before and was just returning it or something, right? Somebody received a toilet seat for Christmas. How, how about that, huh? Another one received a used spatula. Or there's another one that received just a one slipper. I mean, is, is, is that, you know, um, does that mean that I'm going to get the other slipper next year or something? <laughs> um, there's another woman who, rece- who, who received an expired chocolate from her aunt who was a chronic re-gifter. And not only was the chocolate expired, it was also evident that it had already completely resolidified. I mean, that it melted and then <laughs> it was... I mean, if you think about the worst gifts that you've ever received, I'm sure you can think of one, right? Uh, how many of you have ever re-gifted? Huh? Raise your hand. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a sin. <laughs> No, I won't make fun of you. <laughs> I think we've all done it, right? Now, a gift is when you take a gift that you've received and then give it away to somebody else. That's a gift, right? And it's, that's okay, okay? <laughs> just, just be careful that you don't end up giving it back to the person who gave it to you. <laughs> and what's the most re-gifted item in Christmas? You know what it is? Fruitcake, actually. <laughs> So how many of you have received fruitcake already? We received one last year, not yet this year. Now, it's obvious that Christmas is the time of the year when people focus a lot about gifts, right? And what I'd like, for you, uh, what I'd like to do today is talk about the gift of Christmas, and that is, of course, Jesus Christ. And as we've read earlier in Matthew chapter 1, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet, that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Christmas isn't really merely about the birth of a baby. It's that God became a baby. He became one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. And it's, that's a wonderful gift. Amen? That's a wonderful gift. And Matthew tells us that this gift is called Emmanuel. Now, the word Emmanuel in the Hebrew means what? God with us. Everybody knows that, right? (laughs) Now, this name reveals actually something about the nature and the character of our God. And today, what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to look at this name, Emmanuel, from three different perspectives. I want us to look at it through the eyes of the Father, God the Father, through the eyes of Jesus, And through our eyes, what does it mean for God to be Emmanuel to us? So let's begin with the first one. 
from the perspective of God the Father. What does Emmanuel mean? Well, the operational word to remember here is the word promise. When the Father looks at the word, thinks about the word Emmanuel, it means he has fulfilled a promise. Okay? God kept his word. Now, here in our text today, Matthew draws attention to us to the fact that this word, this name in Emmanuel, isn't the first time that, has been, that it has been mentioned. This was something that the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament have recorded some 700 years before the birth of Christ. And you're familiar with Isaiah 7.14, which says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's practically what Matthew says here. He, he, uh, he quotes from Isaiah. And what he's saying is this, is that Jesus' birth is the fulfillment of that promise given by Isaiah. Now, we all know of politicians who do not keep their campaign promises, right? And we hardly, it's, it's, it hardly bothers us anymore. But, of course, it, it hurts us and pains us greatly when, when someone we love, someone we trust, fails to keep an important promise to us, right? When, when those kinds of promises are broken, it, it brings grief. It brings pain to us. And so if you're going to entrust your soul for eternity to God, it's important to remember that He is a God who keeps His promises. And Matthew here simply tells us that God had been actually sovereignly working throughout all of history and that the birth of His Son is a fulfillment of a promise. And all of that should encourage us, right? Especially when the world around us seem, seems to be running out of control. Because we are to remember that nothing thwarts the purposes of God. He promised to send a Savior, and He did it despite the failings of mankind. And so from the Father's perspective, Emmanuel is really an expression of His faithfulness. It is a, a promise that He has kept. It is the gift of a fulfilled promise. Now, all of us have received gifts, right? Where we have questioned the motives of the giver. It doesn't matter how, how great the, the gift is. It doesn't matter how expensive it is. If the motive of the giver is, is questionable, the value of the gift is lessened, isn't it? Maybe someone was motivated by guilt or by obligation. You know, somebody gave you, Sige lang. You don't feel so happy when somebody says that, right? Or maybe somebody was motivated by a desire for others to see how generous they are or how, what great taste they have. Now, those, those kinds of motives will taint a gift, no matter how big, no matter how expensive the gift is. On the other hand, if a gift is motivated by love, really it doesn't matter what it is, right? We will appreciate it. Parents, you know this. You know, when, you, when your kids give you a little something and, and they did it out of their efforts and out of their love for you, you will keep that gift no matter how small or how weird or crazy that gift is, right? What about God? What about the gift of God? Well, John 3.16 tells it all, right? How many of you have memorized John 3.16? We all have, right? 
For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And what this verse tells us is this, that, that the love of God is not a feeling. The love of God is an action. The one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas was the manifestation of the love of God. And that love did not come in response to our love. Right? It wasn't like you know, God was saying, okay, you give me something and I'll give you something too. The gift that God has given to us in His Son was initiated solely by God. Scriptures tell us that, you know, we are not capable of loving God. It is God who loved us first. Now, there are many reasons why God would send His Son, right? His Son would reveal His nature to us. His Son would accomplish the mission of salvation. Jesus would bring glory to the Father. But I think the sweetest reason why God would send His Son is because He loves us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And you know what? God knows us perfectly, doesn't He? All, all of everything in us is open to God. It's laid bare before Him. God knows your darkest secrets. God knows your deepest shame. God knows your, your past. God knows the worst thoughts that you have, your hidden motivations. God knows our, our dirtiest imaginations, even our vain attempts to, to cover it all up, just to appear as if we're somebody that we're not. God sees all of that, and yet He still loved us enough to send to us His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. So God not only kept His promise, He gave His Son. Not only to be born and to become like one of us, but also to die on the cross as a substitute for the penalty of your sin and my sin. So when Jesus hung on that cross, remember that? God the Father had to turn his back on him. So God so loved his only son, he was willing to let him go, to come, to become like one of us. So Emmanuel, from the Father's perspective, was really his expression of love, his faithfulness to us. That's the first perspective. What about the perspective of our Lord Jesus Christ? What did Emmanuel mean for him? Well, the operational word there would be purpose. For God the Father, Emmanuel means promise. For God the Son, Emmanuel means purpose. Jesus came with a mission. The Bible tells us that the Son of God never ceased to be the Son of God. But in becoming a man like us, in being conceived in the womb of Mary, he also became fully human. It, that means he became one of us. Now, I like the way Eugene Peterson says it in his translation in 1 
his translation of, of John 1.14, here's how he said it. He said, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Right? God became flesh and blood and lived among us. You know, when Queen Elizabeth made her visit to the United States, she brought with her 4,000 pounds of luggage. Can you imagine that? 4,000 pounds. She had two sets of everything, two outfits for every engagement that she planned to, to, and probably, you know, a lot of emergency clothing as well, and everything else. Maybe the crown itself was very heavy. I don't know. And of course, we say, you know, that's understandable because she's royalty, right? Now, here's the thing. Know that when the king of kings left heaven, and came to earth. He didn't have any luggage. Jesus did not have any carry-ons. He didn't even have a stitch of clothing. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths. And they placed him in a manger. You see, God did not move heaven and earth to keep his promise. God left heaven and earth for earth to keep his promise. He did not move heaven and earth. He left heaven for earth to keep his promise through his son. Amen. You know, most of us have one time or another probably have decided to buy something. And of course, if you want to buy something, you want to get the best bargain, right, for your money. And that's what some people do when they buy from Shopee, right? You want to make sure that there's free shipping or you want to make sure that you buy it on payday sale or 12, 12, or you want to get the best for your money, right? Or if you have something that you needed to do, you really want to, to, to have the best out of your situation, right? For example, you have a project, you want the best for it. So whether we're talking about a bargain or when we're talking about a task that you have to do or a project, we, we would like it especially to work out for the best, for us to succeed with as little discomfort as possible on our side. Now, sometimes, here's what happens with us, right? If we know that a project or some task is going to be especially difficult, we might say, you know what? Sorry, I'd rather not, right? Sometimes if, if something is too expensive, never mind, you know, I... I don't want to waste my money on that. Or when, when some work is so difficult, you say, I don't want to spend my effort on that. It's just too much, right? Now, a gift doesn't have to be expensive for it to be meaningful or valuable, isn't it? Cost is measured in, in many different ways. You, you can pay a lot of money, of course, for a gift. That's one way to measure the, the value of the gift. Or you can spend a lot of time finding a, a special gift for a special someone. And, and that would also measure the value of the gift. Right? Time and energy are far more costly than, than money. Here's a question. How do you measure the value of God's gift in terms of the cost? Remember, God sent His only Son. From the perspective of the Father, it's a promise that He has kept. From the perspective of the Son, what did it mean? 
Well, John 3.16 says that God gave His one and only Son. And that is costly. Although we don't always think of it as costly. But it, I mean, if you think about it, if you're a father, if you have a child, and then you say, you know what, I'm going to send my child to pay for your, for your debt. Not my debt, for your debt. That's crazy, right? And that's costly. Theologians call this kinosis. Okay? Kinosis in the Greek means to empty. The word is actually used of Jesus when Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Who, referring to Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but what? Made himself nothing. That's the word kenosis. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So what does this verse tell us? This verse tells us that God what? What did he do? He was God, right? He did not consider his equality with God as something to hold on to. But what did he do? He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. That's what the word is. And that kenosis was part of the cost. The cost. God stepped down from his throne. He removed his robe of light and wrapped himself in human skin. The light of the universe entrusted himself to a dark womb of a mother. The one that angels worshipped nestled himself in the placenta of a peasant, was birthed in a cold night, slept through a feeding trough in the midst of the stench of animals, urine, the smell of dung. Imagine that. You might say that Jesus bade farewell to everything he'd known in heaven. He had everything. The glory of God was his. But he said goodbye to all of that. That was costly, right? But you know what? It didn't stop there. There was even a greater price to pay. Because here's what Paul says in the next verse. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even what? Death on a cross. Now, there was a cost to kenosis. There was a cost to God becoming man. But there's even a greater cost in the cross. Now, as Chris, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We call it incarnation, right? But we also must remember the purpose for which he came. He came with a mission. He came to die for us. So Jesus' kenosis was costly. His cross was even costlier. What Jesus had to give up to become like one of us was nothing in comparison to what he had to do for us to die on that cross. And so the first Christmas was, you know, this gift was laid in the manger, but all along, this gift was destined for the cross. When Jesus came to this earth, he knew what it would cost, yet he still came. Jesus came with a purpose. And unlike, you know, situations where we encounter in our lives where we can opt to say no, you know, if the going gets tough, 
we have to understand this, that Calvary was not an accident. Calvary was purposed. It was, it was, not, it was voluntary, sacrificial death. And Jesus had made it clear that no one would, what? No one would take his life from him, but that he himself would lay it down. Luke 9 verse 51 says it this way. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus, what? Resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Here Luke tells us that Jesus' time to die was near. And what, what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't turn his back. He resolutely went out to Jerusalem. He didn't retreat. He didn't cower because you know, he knew it would actually do him little good to come down to become like one of us, but never pay the price for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. That's what Scripture tells us. And on Calvary, as Jesus suffered on that cross... The crowd taunted him. Remember that? And even, remember one of the thieves even joined him. And, and one of the thieves told him, if you, know, if, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Right? The thief had to say, you know what? Aren't you the Messiah? Come on. Show us. I, I, I like how Ken Geyer actually says, uh, gives a commentary on this. Here's what he says. If only Jesus would save himself and us. But Jesus knows something the man hanging next to him doesn't. He knows he can choose one or the other. He can save himself or he can save us. But he can't do both. If you go back 33 years from that cross to the Christmas Day when the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, we read this a while ago, says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because why? He will save the people from their sins. Right from the very beginning, that's what Jesus came to do. So from Jesus' perspective, his purpose for leaving heaven and coming down to earth to be with us is actually to ultimately save us from our sins by dying on the cross. That's what he did. And you know what? You have never received Jesus Christ in your life. That salvation actually is not yours. That salvation Jesus has done for us is all for your taking. It's free. You don't have to pay for it because the Bible tells us that Jesus already has paid for that. So if you're here today, and you've never remembered a time in your life when you said, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I, I give my life to you. And you know what? I encourage you. I invite you to give your life to Jesus. To surrender it to him. And salvation is yours for the taking. So we see Emmanuel from the Father's perspective is a promise fulfilled. 
Emmanuel, from Christ's perspective, is a mission to be accomplished. There's a third one. What does Emmanuel mean for us? Emmanuel, from our perspective. And the operational word here is the word presence. So promise for the Father, purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ, presence for us. You know, God the Father and God the Son went to great lengths to remove the distance to be with us. And that means not only are our sins forgiven when we, re- when we receive Christ into our lives, it also means that God is interested in your life and mine. It tells us that God did not just you know, do all of these things because you know, He just had to. He did it because He wants to be with us. That we aren't just a robot that a creator makes and leaves us to fend for ourselves. It means that you and I are very special to Him. In our lowest valley, He is with us. And that's what the Bible tells us again and again. Psalms 23 verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, And surely, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hebrews 13.5, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Scriptures is laden with so many verses that tells us that God wants to be with us. Christmas is not just about a rescue. It's about a reunion, the reunion of God and man. That's what it means. Because God wants to be with us. He didn't have to do it. But out of his love and his desire to to be with us, he would send his son. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Several years ago, um, you know, I'm sure some of you have seen this. There were military men and women in, in the United States. You know, they were serving overseas for quite a while. And there was a finally a time when, when they were returning home. And I think there was a lot of videos. Some of you might have seen this. You know, videos of these re- reunions were posted over social media when, when the dad comes home from military service to meet with his family and all of that. And I, I'm sure some of you probably have seen some of those videos. There was this one particular video where, you know, during the halftime of a, a high school football game, um, one of these military families was chosen to go down into the middle of the field, of the football field. And of course, uh, in the, they have this big TV, this jumbotron, right, where this, the dad was, uh, was sending a message. They were watching over the jumbotron, the, the, the dad who, had, who was not there, who was serving out in Afghanistan, and in this message, he began to explain to the crowd 
you know, the sacrifice that a military family goes through by being apart from their father for so long. And, you know, just imagine this, right? All of the family was there right in the middle. They were watching this big TV. And, of course, the crowd was cheering the family. And the father went on to tell his family. Now, he, he now talks to his family and tells him how much he loves them, how much he, what he did, uh, how could that uh, he longed to be with them. And then he says, you know what? Daddy loves you, and, and I cannot wait to be with you. And then over the Jumbotron, the, the father says, and today, he says, my prayer is coming true. And then just out of the blue, just in one of the exit doors, this father was actually there. And this father comes walking towards his family. And you can see um, the kids, when they saw their dad, they instinctively and they immediately what? They sprint out and ran towards their dad. There in that moment, it was this incredible reunion. And you could see the joy, of course, and the children's faces as they finally find and see their father with them. And I'm, I'm sure you have seen some videos like that, right? Now, we watched these videos, and, and we may not be able to put it into words, but we know there's something very sacred that's happening in those moments. Now, I believe it's because it touches the very heart of God. It captures God's desire to be reunited with his lost children. All of God's heart, all of God's desire to be with his people finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world to be God with us. It was no longer just a, an idea. It was no longer that just God was just telling his people that I want to be with you. This time, it's for real. The Almighty One became God with us because he wanted to be with us. That's what it means for us to have Emmanuel. Now, if you've ever been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard it said that, you know, God is with us. God is with you. And it is a true statement. But it's one of those cliches that can, can sort of lose, lose its meaning, right, in our lives. A lot of Christians lose sight of the fact that God is with us. Because sometimes the gift of Jesus Christ gets clouded with, with the circumstances of life. And, and we get knocked off our feet. You graduated from college. You can't find a job. And you're saying, where are you, Lord? You waited long enough to get married, but now, you know, six years into marriage, you're still childless. You're saying, God, where are you? Maybe after the service is over, you will go home and you will be reminded of a loved one that has already passed along and left a void in your life. Or maybe you look at some couples getting married and you ask yourself, you know, where's my knight in shining armor? Or where's my lady in waiting? Say, God, where are you? Some of you would say, you know, <clears throat> I've done so many bad things in life. I'm so ashamed of it. Why would God be interested in me? Let me just say this to you. He does, and he is. The same God who was with Mary and the apostles is the same God who promises to be with you, to be with me. And he keeps his word. He is with us because he is Emmanuel. 
That's who our God is. And you know, sometimes even when life is so good, when we rest on our own strength and our own security, we forget that, right? And I hope as we reflect on, the, on, on that this Christmas, that we will understand better that Jesus is the perfect gift. He's the perfect gift for the person who has everything, and he's the perfect gift for the person who has nothing. Because he promises to never leave us, to never forsake us, and he will never do that. So Emmanuel, from the eyes of the Father, it's his promise. From the eyes of Christ, it's his purpose. But from our eyes, it is his presence always with us. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let me end with an illustration. If you go to Trafalgar Square today, that's in London, there's gonna be, there you'll, you'll find a very tall pillar. And on top of that pillar is the statue of Lord Nelson. Now, Lord Nelson was you know, known for his victory in, tra uh, in the Battle of Trafalgar. And he was, during his time, uh, considered a hero. Now, this statue of Lord Nelson actually stood on top of a very high column, about 50 meters. Okay? And so it, it, was, it has been there since 1843 and remains there to this day. But think about this. Now, since it's so high, you can never actually see it. Imagine 50 meters. Right? 10 meters is the height of a basketball ring, right? Is that 10 feet? Sorry. 10 meters is even longer. So that's 50 meters, very high. So you can imagine a long column, very high, and there's this statue right on top. So no one can really see it. So about 40 years ago, a new statue, a replica of the original, was put on eye level so that people can actually see the statue. Now, here's the point. Many people today think that they are on a journey to find God. They did not realize that God has already come and found us. Religion is always about man trying to reach up to God, trying to find God. But Christianity is God coming down to find us. And that is why Jesus came into our world and lived among us. He reached out his hand of friendship and loved us first. See, God transcends our ability to see him clearly. He is God, right? But here's what he did. God who created everything took shape within his own creation to be one of us. In Luke chapter 2 verse 11, the angel says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So these were words spoken by the angels to the shepherds. The shepherds heard that first. But what that angel, what, what those angels said to these lowly shepherds, he says to anyone who is willing to listen. A Savior has been born to you. Jesus is that gift. He himself is the treasure. It was the choice of the Father 
to send him. It was the joy of the Son to obey. And it's our glory to receive him. Because he is always with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you on this Christmas day that we can celebrate the coming of your son. That you did not just think about us. That you did, you did not just talk to us. But you came and become like one of us. And Jesus, we, we give praise to you. For you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praises. You are holy. You are mighty. But you loved us so much. You did not withhold yourself to become one of us. And as we celebrate Christmas, remind us, Holy Spirit, of the truths of your word and as we worship you as we give thanks to you as we give the glory to you and you alone may your presence be with all of us may your manifest presence be something that we will always hold on to as you remind us that you are the God who is with us in Jesus name Amen and amen.